Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Little known fact about my guest today, she is the first person on the show born in Alaska. Welcome star of stage and screen, Annie Paris. Hey everyone, my guest today is Annie Paris. Annie is currently starring in A View from the Bridge at the Long Wharf Theatre Company. Some of her other notable theatre credits include Prelude to a Kiss, Clybourne Park, Becky Shaw, and Long Lost. On TV, she has starred in Mrs. America, Friends from College, The Looming Tower, The First, Paterno, Vinyl, The Following, Law and Order, and so many more. Some of her many film credits include Giving Birth to a Butterfly, Three Birthdays, and So It Goes, One for the Money, How to Lose a Guy in 10 days and monster in law i'm rushing through it because i just want to get to talk to annie welcome to the podcast thank you so much i'm so happy to be here i'm so happy i um i'm gonna just start with the thing you're doing now and then we can move backwards a little bit to like why is annie paris an actress and sort of how have you had such incredible longevity in your career tips are welcome um your B in A View from the Bridge that I just saw on opening night a few days ago is just one of the most beautiful, vulnerable, complex, strong versions of this character. And I wonder if you could just talk about um, what it's been like sort of walking into the shoes of this incredible character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I when I read the play, I, I also knew it. And I, I have to be honest, like, when they sent it to me, and I read it, I thought like, Oh, right, like Arthur Miller, okay, this is going to be, you know, it's spinach. It's like, really good for you. But you know, it's, it's a heavy lift. Like, it's going to take a little bit of sit down and focus to read this. And I just could not stop turning that way. Now it is such a gripping read. And I was like, Oh, my God, right, I forgot. And and it's not like I'd never seen the play before and I I have seen it before and I remember enjoying it, but I was just stopped by how compelling a read it was. And as you say, by how compelling the character of Beatrice was, like I think I hadn't really remembered that. Um, 
And I just really felt like, oh my gosh, like I, I have to do this. There are just like only so many times in an actor's life that you get the opportunity to, you know, step into such a powerful piece of kind of like classic American theater writing. Um, yeah. And I, I just felt like kind of instantly compelled to it. Um, I think I felt surprised at how connected to Beatrice, I felt like given that it, it, you know, it's a play from 1955. And it for sure, the period is a part of the play, I think, like, it's not, um, I don't think you could like, reset it in modern times, you know, um, in the sense that the period is very much a part of it. But I was still, I don't know, I felt so much compassion for her and also sort of so inspired by her. Um, so yeah. Where did you start? Like even before, so you're reading the play and you have a minute between the offer and the beginning of rehearsal, although really like a minute, it wasn't yeah. like a long lead up to it. Um, how did you sort of, I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about process. I mean, if you can, some people don't feel articulate about it. Some people do. Um, but how did you kind of begin to marinate on this part and the world? Absolutely. I mean, I think that I started j just for me personally, and, and this was kind of interesting because I, I don't always do this, but for me, I, like I said, I, I felt really surprised at how connected I felt to the character. Like, um, and I decided uh, I, I like love research. So a lot of times, like I'll start with being like, I'm going to read everything I can and just really geek out on like whatever the period is or, you know, whatever I can find about Arthur Miller. And, and this time I was like, you know, I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start with like my own personal connection to the character. And again, like, not like I have any of this in my uh, past, but I, I am Italian American and um, I haven't spent that much time in my life, like really investigating or considering my own, um, you know, ancestry or- right, Your heritage. My heritage. And so I really, in this case, started with like what it has meant to me to be an Italian American and like kind of um, my own family. Um, that was very much a part of the like early process for me with it. Um, uh, this is like a weird one, but it felt like a real key to me too. I just, I don't even remember what podcast and I'm sorry to whoever's podcast it was. I am an avid podcast listener. And I happened to hear something in a podcast I was listening to, which was about Dante and da Dante Alighieri, the, the Paradiso. And um, that Beatrice is the person who leads Dante through the, um, the Paradiso. And just in my head, it just really like rang because I happened to be reading the play at the time and I was like, ooh, like Arthur Miller had to know a bit of. And so I weirdly then did geek out on like, like who was Beatrice um, in Dante's world? Yes. Again, and how so is that relevant to the journey of this play? And it is, right? And in it, terms it of is. Her... I, I looked up the name and, you know, the name Beatrice means divine love. And it just felt like to me, like, oh, that is a key to this character. Like this character just starts from a place of love, like truly starts from a place of like loving this very flawed man, but never giving up on her love for him, as well as like beginning every relationship with love. And, you know, like what that means in a world that is not very loving sometimes and like yeah. how, what it's like to go through the world from that place. But I, I think um, it also just really struck a chord with me in terms of, 
like the things that women and mothers do on behalf of their families um, and kind of the, the, I guess the heroic nature of like starting and ending with love. Um, mm-hmm. So those were kind of the things that I was right. <laughs> in before we started rehearsal. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was interesting. Again, like not normally the way I work on a role, but like just in this particular case felt really, um, I, you know, the role felt really, um, yeah, like I had this, I was like, oh, there's some reason that I'm drawn to this. And I, I'm going to try and like unearth, like, what is it in me that's like feels so compelled by this piece of writing? Right. And also just sort of the part of any creative process that is magical intervention in that way. Like, like yeah. for some people, it's a hummingbird flying around and that's the sign, you know, for you, just the idea that there are ways in which you can interweave um, like just all these other life experiences that are happening adjacent to this, to this offer for this. Play. Yeah. I have to say, having seen it, I, you know, it's funny. There is, um, there's tremendous chemistry between you and Eddie um, in this play that is also about like a wife who is sort of suffering uh, around her marriage in in ways that like the marriage used to be more physical <clears throat> and now it's not. And pardon me, <clears throat> I wonder if that's like a nervous tick because Eddie's my husband. <laughs> You're like, why can't I? Why is my throat closing up? Um, that that it's really it was really interesting to me to see two incredibly attractive people in these roles who you know have had so much um physical chemistry in their lives. And now there's this odd moment where this other person in their house has become a woman for who is no longer a child. And I feel like in watching it, you had so much compassion for everyone involved and yourself. And I feel like that is a role that could be played as the long suffering wife. And what I really loved in your interpretation of it is the strength and the um, wisdom and the generosity of spirit kind of toward everybody in it. And anyway, I hope people uh, can get to see it. I hope this play comes to New York and has more of a life because it's oh. one of the most extraordinary, um, not just the acting in it, but like the design and so many of the elements of it. Like everyone in this production is so talented. Every actor, every designer, your director really um, brought out the best in all of you. And as much as it feels like a period piece, it's devastatingly contemporary in that we're also watching these immigrants come to America and try to find a way to make life better for their families at home. It's it's really Absolutely. about the dreamers in that way. Um, and knowing that Beatrice and Eddie, these two lead characters, themselves that that is that story is so close to themselves right it's just all so um, it's so interesting I, mean, I think it's like such a it's like it's like the um the magic of like great writing right and like great writing that sticks around right like is that on the one hand you know it is so specific and yeah. so of its place and time and on the other hand it's like that very specificity allows it to like leap into something 
totally universal something that like you like I said like I felt like oh this is going to be spinach I am just going to write it's a good play and then you read it and you're like oh my god like why do I feel so connected to this thing from 70 years ago and as you say I mean like so many of the issues in the play are just so contemporaneous I mean the issue of immigration the issue of like the sort of the one step away you know like Eddie and I being people whose parents immigrated and were born here and have now just that one step of distance, but also like kind of how you become like a link in a chain. Um, And that the chain is both like something that progresses forward and also it's a chain, it's binding. It's like, it's like a weight to it, you know? And And I think also, I mean, Miller writes, you know, just to what you were expressing before, he writes so sensitively about marriage and about family life. Mm-hmm. such nuance and you know gosh I mean it's so complicated to be married for a long time it's so complicated to like raise a child that becomes a teenager I mean <laughs> having living through that moment myself at this you know and yeah. It, yeah. where you're like oh like how your life just slips just this far out of your control you know and 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 how terrifying it is you know and I, again like I feel like Miller just writes about these topics that we every generation lives and he writes so specifically and at the same time like you're like oh my god I recognize it I recognize it I recognize it well also what's amazing about this play is I love that Miller does not spend time exploring the backstory of why Beatrice and Eddie didn't have children of their own and why they are raising their niece and there's something about allowing us to just fantasize on our own. I mean, you guys can make up anything you want, you know, and, and it felt in the watching of it that you were very clear about what your own history around family was and, and children. Um, But it really let every single person in the audience just bring their own experience to it without having it like shoehorned. Like, no, no, that's why they don't have a kid. Like, it's not your story. It's their story. Totally. He does that. Yeah, he does that so well. Also with like leaving. I mean, he has the courage, I guess, and the confidence to leave um, questions unanswered. You know what I mean? Um, The questions of you know, sexuality, the questions of like, what is this interest? And God for anybody who has, I'm assuming people know the play, but like, what is Eddie has in his His niece? niece. Like, It's not clearly defined in the play. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's treading a line. And I I think it, it, it takes a lot of guts as a writer, a lot of courage to be like, um, make of this what you will, audience. Like, here are the things that happened, and you can draw your own conclusions about why or how. Or, and also that the actors have that space to make decisions and kind of follow. I don't know. I think of it as like a connect the dots, where it's like you have to land on certain things. Like, but how you get from point A to point B is your business and how you get from point B to point C, you know, but totally. it, again, I, I'm not all writers do that. And I think it's like a mark of a, of an incredibly brave playwright to, to yeah. leave. And yeah. also, I just want to, you know, mention that in this play, the role of Alfieri, the, the lawyer that sort of everyone comes to at this time on the docks in the 1950s is played by a woman. I love that the 
the sort of leading voice of authority and memory and clarity and the one that everyone in this very specific world goes to, um, sort of the the queen is this woman in present day who who is living the life she's living. It's powerful. Like you, it's it's so you're not even processing it as you watch it, sort of the levels of beauty that she has all the power in this play. Um, and it's through her her voice that the, you know, it, it's a narration play in that way. It's a memory play in that Absolutely. way. Anyway, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds for people who haven't seen it or don't know the play, but, but what I want to say is it was just incredibly exciting to see a play like that again like there's no bells and like it's so clean and streamlined and just like holy shit that's great writing uh being performed by this extraordinary cast I want to like just talk a little bit about um when you talk about sort of thinking about your own upbringing and kind of or your family history you know, in reading your bio, I don't know how much time you spent in Alaska, but I know you were born there. And I have probably talked to very few people who were <laughs> born in Alaska, who ended up, you know, um, on Law and Order, like just sort of how, how did, what was your journey in that way? Why was your family, why were you born in Alaska before you moved to Seattle, I think? Yeah. What's, I the, what's the journey? I have to say, I had like one minute where I thought, should I have like my, is my, is it a little enough known fact that I was born in Alaska? But I think it's pretty out there. Um, no, I, um, uh, my dad worked for, or my dad was in the Air Force. And when he was in the Air Force, he um, was in a Russian immersion language program and um, was stationed in Alaska during the Vietnam War, um, listening to and interpreting like Russian radio signals. Um, I wasn't born at that point, but um, that was uh, that was how my parents first got to Alaska and they really loved it. They just, they loved being there. And my dad ended up working for Alaska Airlines um, and was in Alaska working for them. Um, and then um, we moved to Seattle when I was 11 um, to, because that's like where their hub is the Alaska Airlines hub, but, um, but yeah, so my parents just had, I mean, and you know, they're two kids from Pittsburgh actually. So I think for them, I mean, again, I, you know, this is my guess based on just like listening to them, but I think for them, it was like the adventure of a lifetime. Like we're going to go and like live in Alaska and they are, you know, the children, my mom is Lebanese. My dad is Italian. They're the children of immigrants. And so I think it was a little bit like their, you know, American dream. Like we're going to go West. We're going to like live this big life in this, you know, wild place. Um, and um, yeah, so I think they had somewhat of an adventurous spirit in that regard. And, and, and again, I think it was like very, um, like, I mean, my dad in college, like in college worked in like steel mills in Pittsburgh, you know what I mean? So I think it was like their version of like the American dream is like, you right. can like be in this like huge, you know, Western country, you know? Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think like eventually when they, we moved to Seattle and stuff, that's actually where I got involved in theater. And I often think about like, if we hadn't moved, like maybe I wouldn't be an actor because 
I, the truth is like, I, we, we moved when I was 11. I was a very shy kid. Um, I had a really hard time making friends. I mean, it's a tough, like having my own kids now, I'm like, that's a tough age to move, totally, you know, totally. like, not, you know, the and I of middle school or actually maybe a year into middle, even worse, yeah. like middle school where you started. Yeah. And I just did not, I was also, I think like very, I, I mean, again, like a blessing was that about being in Alaska was that I had a really long childhood. Like I was really like still a little kid. Like I was not. Um, and I remember like getting to Seattle in sixth grade and like, you know, the girls were wearing makeup and talking about boys. And I was like, like, you know, what's happening. I'm still like making mud pies, you know? And, um, I just had a really hard time making friends and my mom, God bless her, um, was like, you're going to go down and audition for a play at the community theater. And I did not want to go. I was like, please God, don't make me. Um, I think I sat in the corner and just didn't talk. Like I just did what they told me to do. And this like, didn't, you know, I was like, it's quiet. And I am like 95% sure that my mom called and was like, can she just have like a non-speaking part? <laughs> like, <laughs> And she was absolutely right. Like I had a non-speaking part. I didn't, um, but I made friends and I really, I think like that was for me the beginning of being like, oh, right. Like, here's my people. My people are the theater people. The yeah. um, And I, I did plays at that little like community theater in called the Youth Theater Northwest. I did plays there for years, like until I graduated from high school. Um, so that was kind of the start of it, I think. <laughs> and how did Fordham, which is where you went, I went to Fordham also, how did you, I mean, I'm from New Jersey, so it was not a huge leap. I was like, oh, it's right by Lincoln Center. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, how did you end up going there? I, it, I honestly, I got a thing in the mail. Um, you know, when, like, you know, how you get like, sure. all, yes, or like where to go to school or whatever. I got a thing yeah. in the mail. I knew I wanted to come to the East Coast and I, I really wanted to be in New York City. My parents were like, oh, like why New York City? And, you know, we're really trying to encourage me to go to like Skidmore or somewhere like that, where I was also somewhere applying. safe. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere safe. Exactly. Um, but I, I knew I couldn't afford NYU and I applied to Fordham and got a, um, I got a scholarship actually. I was um the I have the I don't know the if it's a dubious honor, but I I was the first um person from Seattle to go to the Lincoln Center campus at Fordham. I think I don't think I really understood how much of a city school it was. Like there that it was like so many of the people who went were like actually commuters, like they didn't even yeah. live. They had just built this new Dorm. There weren't no. even when I went a few years before you. Yeah. We I had to live in an. I mean, you could have lived in the Bronx on Rose Hill, right. where John Benjamin Hickey, who we were talking yeah. about before we yeah. started, lived. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I it really was like the city was the campus, and yeah. we lived in apartments. Yeah, the dorm was. It was the first year of the dorm that I moved there. Like my class was the first class to like live and have have the dorm like right at the Lincoln Center campus. And I think that's honestly the only reason that my parents were like, okay, fine, um, was the combination of like the scholarship and there actually was a place to live there. But when it when when we went to visit, there what the dorm wasn't finished yet. And so it was like we like they my parents were like, what the heck? No, why do you want to do this? Um but I think I just felt like it would be so exciting. And I, as soon as I came to New York, I mean, like that visit, when we visited, uh, I, I was like, I got to be in New York City. I got I, I got to do this. Um, I don't think people understand, like, you know, Dominic is from 
Wisconsin, you being from Seattle, like people who grew up in the metropolitan area, it, it's a very normal transition from where you grew up to New York City. But from Seattle to Manhattan, had you guys come to visit in your youth at all? Had you seen shows in New York? Was no. my time. I came to New York to look at Florida. It was my first time in New York City. We went to see, they took the visiting students to see um, uh, The Who's Tommy was on Broadway. So right. we went we went to see that. I was like, this is the most amazing thing. This is the most amazing place. My parents were like, it's not amazing. It's not amazing. It's terrifying and dirty. <laughs> and, um, and I, but I just could not be dissuaded to me. It, I mean, it was like, you know, Dorothy in Oz. It was like suddenly the color, it was everything was in Technicolor. And I was like, I gotta be here. I will never forget like my dad, when we, when they dropped me off, you know, and they brought me and helped me get my room set up and everything and they were leaving. And, um, I mean, he really tried not to let it show, but I mean, I know he, he was crying in the cab as he, as they were waving goodbye to me. And I look back on it and again, like, especially as a parent now, and I think, oh my God, like how hard that must've been for them to leave there. Then I was, you know, had just turned 18 year old in the middle of like big, bad New York city. Um, but at the time I was like, it's going to be fine. What's he worried about? You know, like no sense of the, the sort of, uh, I don't know, the bigness of, of the realities of the realities their fears. Of right. They were not unfounded, but no. you, you knew, like you knew who you were and you knew, or, or we, we think we know who we are and we were close enough to knowing that future you would be okay. Um, yeah. I mean, you never left. I mean, you leave to work, but obviously there was something in your soul that was like, this is my place. I, I actually, even as I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, remember this when your kids want to do something that you're like, that's crazy. That like on some level, right? Like you do, I think, as you say, just know what's right for you, even if you don't know why, even if you can't quite articulate it as a kid. And that in a way, having that like sense of fearlessness that you look back on and go, oh my God, I was crazy. Like you need it, right? To be able to go ahead and take the crazy leaps that like your soul needs to unfold in the way that it's supposed to unfold, you know? But um, yeah, I look back on it now as a mom and I think like, damn guys, sorry, that must've been a hard one for my parents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, also I was looking at your resume. I mean, I, I don't want to just focus on the men because, you know, Jane Fonda and JLo are on the list as well. But when I think about like Sean Penn, Al Pacino, uh, Scorsese and Mick Jagger, who produced vinyl that you did, Spielberg, who produced another series that you did. Um, I mean, Sean Penn and Al Pacino as your co-stars, like you have had um, Renee Zellweger, like Kate Hudson, like, like so many people who are legends in, in, in the field of entertainment. And, you know, I just think about like from Alaska to Paterno, it's like a crazy, crazy, amazing thing. And I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about those pinch me moments for you. Um, I mean, let's just start with Pacino. And obviously, at a time where he was a more mature actor. Yeah. Is there any is there anything from that particular set or working with him that is sort of with you? I, what well, A, I mean, yeah, you're like, 
somebody says you're going to work with Al Pacino and you're like, holy cow. I mean, just, you know, obviously I sat with my parents watching Al Pacino as a kid and being like, what the most amazing actor, you know, I mean, so that, that little, that little voice inside of you, that's like, I don't know, whisper, the whispers of self-doubt. That's like, what are you, what, who do you think you are? Like, how do what are you going to do on set? You have to be worth worthy, whatever, all that. And kind of like trying to quiet that little voice inside of you and being like, it's okay. Like you, you get to be here too. Um, and then really on set with him, like, I was so he told all these stories about working at the public and doing, you know, off off Broadway theater in the 70s and in the late 60s and working with Joe Papp and like and he told hilarious stories about like, you know, not making his entrance on time or, you know, all the things that all the theater actors I know talk about, you know, just yeah. like and I was like, right, of course, like you no matter where you are on the on the wrong, like we all, we all come in, I think in one way or another from a pretty similar place, you know, like there's like a little person inside of you who's like, has something to say or needs to be seen or, you know, but we, we, especially people who have, you know, worked in theater, I think, um, there's just a sense of camaraderie, a sense of like, we've joined the circus and we're all mm -hmm. members of the circus and we all have similar. So I, that was such a like joy to discover that somebody as iconic as Al Pacino just is sitting around set telling hilarious stories about, you know, missing an entrance. At I, love it. <laughs> I love that so much. I yeah. mean, you've had, you know, in kind of looking at this sort of trajectory from college, Pretty quickly, you know, uh, Julianne Moore and Marissa Tomei were both on the podcast, both started in soaps, like early on had a soap opera gig and you did too, like kind of right out of school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was my, I mean, it was the first job, it wasn't my absolute first job I had done. I had like understudied at the roundabout and done some like off, off Broadway theater, yeah. um, but it was really my first job where I like made any money. And um, I am so grateful for it. I think like one, I just, it gave me some money. Like, I mean, which again, I think like it's such a huge, I mean, now I can't even imagine like trying, but like, even at that time, like just trying to pay the bills in New York city and like maintain, you know, and, and I was working at a bookstore. So I was like making like $7 an hour, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Just how am I going to be able to continue to like make it to auditions and, and just feed myself and pay my rent. And so having suddenly being on a soap, it was, I just knew I was like, I'm going to save every penny because when I am done with this, I'm going, I'm going to need every penny so that I can buy some time to, you know, continue the auditioning and trying to, you know, get to the, and then there was like, I had never done anything on actually when my agent called me and told me I got the part, I was like, oh, okay. And like hung up the phone and then called back like three minutes later and was like, but do they know that I have never done any film or television right. before? And what do I do when I get there? I don't know how to do that. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? I, I have no idea what it is. And so it was also this like incredible, I guess, like technical journey and learning like what it is to work on camera, just like what it is to hit a mark, what it is to like work really quickly in the way, I mean, obviously with a soap, you know, you shoot, you know, 25 pages in a day. I mean, it's like, so 50 pages in a day, depending upon what it is. So, um, you know, 
just a, a, a whole different way of working and how could I sort of use what I knew from theater school and from doing plays, how, how could I fold that in, but also like work in this really different way. And then just, yeah, just being on camera every day. I mean, you work so it's like such a long, you know, you're there four or five days a week, every, you know, <laughs> all year long. So, um, you know, having the stamina to like building the stamina to like work in that yeah. way. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a gift. Do you, um, is there anything, because the amount of material one is expected to learn on a soap is unlike any other job yeah. as an actor. Are there things in terms of how you like taught your muscles to work that you still use for learning lines from that time? Absolutely. Like that amount of material, like how you're going to like, number one is like, what is the scene about? What am I talking about? Like just number one, like it's not about words, just like, yeah. what am I like, what do I mean to be said? You know, like, and essentially intention, like intention right. first, like always intention first, because like, you're just, if you have to do 50 pages in a day, you're not going to nail every word. Like you're not going to, so let it go. Like, what do you want out of the scene? What are you saying to get what you want? And like, go with that. And actually you would, I would find, and it, and it is a muscle, like the more you work on memorizing, the easier it gets to memorize. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But if you know what you're saying, if you under, if you can't remember it, you probably don't know what you're saying. That's probably, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So it was a really big deal. I remember when they announced that you were joining Law and Order. That is such an iconic, by the way, it's like a hundred years now of Law, like who even understood, yeah. like, and the arms and the different ones. Um, was that an exciting get at the time? Yeah, it was. Oh, it was amazing. I had, I had, I had, after the soap, I had been like, okay, I, you know, I want to do theater. I want to, I want to, maybe I need to go to LA. Like, what do I need to do? I've kind of been like, right. and I've been in LA for quite a while, actually. I'd been there. That was the longest, that's like sort of the longest stint I ever did in LA was around that time after I left the soap. And I, I, it's not that I don't like LA. I actually do like LA. I really enjoy going out and working in LA. And then I enjoy coming back to New York. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I had been out there just trying to get work for a long time. And I kind of had this real come to Jesus moment where I was like, am I going to do this in LA or am I going to do this in New York? And I really, in my heart of hearts was like, I, I just want to be in New York. And were you I, looking pilots? Were you sort of making was, headway out was, there a bit? Yeah. I was doing pilots and I was doing kind of like, you know, li like smaller parts in, in film supporting roles in films and stuff. And I was, but I was just feeling like, ha like, Oh my gosh. It's, you know what? It's so hard to not, to be a, to not work in LA, at least for me, I found like, whereas in New, in New York, when I'm not working as an actor, like I'm like, I don't know, there's such a community. I feel very supported by the community. And also I think like it's, um, New York is not such a, um, like one trick town, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you can just get interested in something else and not be so like, oh my God, I'm not working. When am I going to work again? Ah, like, what does this mean about, you know, and LA was a hard place to not be working for, for me. Um, and so I knew I wanted to be back in New York and I kind of made this controversial decision um, where I was like, I'm just going to come back to New York, even though y'all are meaning my agents and managers at the time are like, you need to be in LA. I, I just really 
want to come back to New York. And so honestly, like when the opportunity to test for the law and order job came up, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like if I could get this job, it would just be like, it would be a game changer because it would just mean like a whole different different reality of life in New, in New York, you know. Um, was that a hard job? Was that a hard audition process or or not particularly? Um, it was in the sense that I actually went in and tested and the first time I tested, I didn't get the job. Like they were like, no, it's not going to be you. They don't know who it's going to be yet. Um, but so you went like, through the whole process. I went through the whole process and then I did. And then they called me again a second time and were like, we want to test her. They were like, they want to test her again, but they want to like do her hair and makeup differently. <laughs> It's always about hair and makeup. You know what I'm saying? I love how they couldn't envision that the first time. They're like, let's do it again. Okay. I, know, I know. Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay. But I mean, again, like I was so um, just excited at the idea of being able to like work in New York. Um, you know, but when you went in again, like suddenly with this attention on what you look like, which is sort of essentially what they're saying, as if our jobs aren't hard enough, right? Were you able to... Um, go in and do it. Uh, well, can you just explain that? Like callbacks are hard anyway. This is a strange callback. This is like, we're starting again, but we have already seen you, but there was something about how you looked the first time. Like, how did you process all of that? I mean, I think at the time I felt, I mean, there's no way to feel good about that. I will just say like, I like, and I think like that was very in the, water for me at the time. And I, I'm sure it's in the water for so many actors, women and men, but maybe especially women. Um, yeah. You know, you get a lot of feedback like you, you know, about how you look, you know, which you're just like, well, dude, A, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, there's just what I look like. But B, yeah. like, if you want my hair to be a certain way, just tell me and I'll do my hair that way. It's really you know? not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But I think at the time, I mean, they did have like their own hair and makeup people do my hair the second and makeup the second time around. So I think I felt a little bit actually like, well, they're just going to see if they can do whatever they want to do to me. And I guess you just, you know, I think I, I, I maybe, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. I have a little bit of a like compartmentalizing part of my brain that was just like, I'm going to just shut off how I feel about that and like put it away and just try to do like, ignore that. And I mean, now the work. Yeah. Obviously, you knew they really liked you. I mean, obviously, part of it is they love what you're doing as an actress. Yeah, and and I think I mean I don't know I I I say this, and I feel two ways at the same time. You know, for every actor, look you you are never going to please everyone. You are never going to please everyone, and especially with the way you look, like it's just that is so subjective. Like, how, you know. So on the one hand, it's like, let it go. You can't control it. There's nothing you can do about it. And on the other hand, like I, you know, acknowledge that a lifetime of being told to this, to that, not enough, this, not enough, that it, it is, it's hard on the soul and you have to do what you need to do to like, take care of your, you know, your sweet, vulnerable heart that you put out there all the time as an actor, you know? Um, and I guess for every person, we have to find what that is 
for ourselves. But um, yeah, in that particular case, I think I was just like, well, you guys are doing it now. So great. It's out of my hands. <laughs> great. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for taking care of that. I have to ask you because you are partnered with, and you mentioned your children with an extraordinary actor named Paul Sparks that so many people are also huge fans of who listen to this podcast. Can you just share a little bit of how you guys met, if that's not too personal? Oh, absolutely. Um, we actually met through friends initially um, who who did try to set us up um, and we but we just didn't it didn't take. <laughs> um, we, we were like, then we got new hair and makeup people and they came exactly. and, and it worked out. And then I had my hair and makeup people come in and they fixed him up a little. Him. Exactly. He looks great. No. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. You know, I think that when they tried to set us up, I had just broken up with like uh, my college boyfriend at the time. And I think I was just not in a headspace to want to meet a guy at that point. Um, and then actually years later, we ended up doing a reading together. Um, and I remembered his name and was like, oh my God, that's that guy. It's a good and name. Yeah, it's a good name. It's, it's a, a good, good name. Yeah, it's a good name. I I was like, that's that guy. And I remember seeing him and being like, oh, I had a, I was dating somebody at the time, but I I was like, oh, he's really cute. I, I should have. And I just noticed him in a different way. And then um, when things really, I had actually gone to see him in a play. He has a long collaboration with a writer, um, Adam Rapp, and I had gone to see him in one of Adam's plays, a play called Blackbird. And I just, oh, I just. I remember sitting in that theater and watching him in the show. And I was like, this is one of the greatest plays I have ever seen. And this performance is like nothing. I was actually flying to LA the next morning on like a 7 a.m. flight. And I had planned on that. I was just going to like go right home after the play. But I was like, I got to go out with these guys. I got to. And I just was so taken with him. Um, we didn't start dating again for like many months, but he was again, just like in my mind. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then eventually when I moved back from LA to New York and um, he called me and was like, oh, I heard you are back in New York. And I just wondered if you wanted, and I wasn't sure actually if he was calling to be like friendly because we did have a lot of friends in common or if it was like he, he was asking me on a date. Like it was a very, it was a little bit, but one, one thing, yeah, once I, once we went out, I was like, oh, I think this was a date. And then we've been together ever since. So yeah, he's a great guy. I love that. I love, um, I love, uh, things that last, right? Like it's very heartening. It's very heartening. Cause it's hard to go back to this play. It's like, it really is to really know someone and, and stay is, is a triumph. Um, and, and, and staying when it's boring too, right? Like just when it gets real, it's, um, I know you have kids too. I mean, it's like, it's like you, it really is like a wild thing. Like when you have sort of a, a romance with somebody and then you bring kids into it and you like turn your romance into a job. <laughs> it's like, now yeah. we have a job the where we're workers. Yeah. Workers raising these. And also it's like a really important job. Like, you know, <laughs> you want to do well, you want to do well, you want to do a good job here. We want to do this well. And like, it just adds layers. But also, I mean, I do think, you know, and in the arts, I mean, again, like complicated people, like working away from home and with right. kit and all that. But um, there is something kind of I'm leaning very much into. There's something really incredibly beautiful about like 
committing to the mysteries of the journey. Do you know what I mean? That like, it's- That's a beautiful way to put it. Unfolding and you can never know where it's going to take you. And sometimes it takes you down some pretty dark paths, but I think having the faith that it's not always going to be dark. It's not always going, going to be, you know, whatever it is, it's going to continue to change. And it, and it, and if you commit to it, it will, you will reap rewards, you know? Congratulations on just, just a, an incredibly beautiful performance. And I feel so lucky that I got to see it. And, and thank you for, for talking with me today on your day off. And so before I let you go, is there a little known fact that you can share about you? All right. I'm, I was like racking my brains. I'm like, what little known facts? Um, so this is a relatively recent little known fact. Um, my kids are both like incredible, incredibly musically talented, um, as is Paul. Paul has played guitar forever. And during the pandemic, you know, there came like this moment where we were just like, oh my God, like screen, 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 screens. What can we do to like get everybody off of a screen? And Paul was like, you know what? I'm going to get a I'm going to order us like a, just a keyboard, you know, we'll just order a keyboard from Amazon and Lydia, our, our daughter, um, who was like six at the time, um, you know, maybe we could start doing piano lessons with her. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I played piano as a kid. Maybe I can help her with that. And so, um, I, as, as she started, I was like, yeah, like I played piano for 10 years as a kid. And here it is the middle of the pandemic and I, you know, obviously there's no work and obviously there's very few creative outlets. And I was like, I wonder what I do remember about this. And I started kind of just like plunking around on the piano. And um, I have since um, for the last four years been like re um, recommitting or reinvestigating my classical piano. Um, so I started taking lessons with a classical piano teacher and um, I'm now like regularly working on some piece of classical music. I just finished playing a Chopin prelude and, um, you know, not for any reason, except for the just pure pleasure of spending some time with. I know. I love that. I love that so much. That's extraordinary. That that's great. And you have that. That's yours now. You can do it anytime. Um, Annie, thank you so much for being on the podcast and have a wonderful, wonderful run with the play. I will see you soon again in person. And thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I have some news. Little Known Facts is now available to watch on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of interviews that you can see my fabulous guests. And guess what it's called? Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Anyway, head on over to YouTube and watch the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, zero pressure, but if you want to, no donation is too big or too small. I am so grateful for you for listening, but if you want to donate, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Lastly, Little Known Facts is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, USA. My editor is Nicholas Clark. None of this happens without Nicholas. And the Little Known Facts theme song was composed and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day.